So you guys can't see this right now, but Elliot is just stuffing his face with mulberry leaves. I'm not all doing, flavored by Lowry's. I'm Lowry's. not doing that actually. Prove me wrong. I mean, I'm talking to you right now. Or it's fancy editing. Thanks, Dom. Making them sound real good. I mean, thanks, Dom. But also, that's you know, you're stuck on the Lowry's and the mulberry leaves. All right, you try them. I do all the time, just not when you're around. It's not true. I don't believe you. I want to see you eat some mulberry leaves once. I will eat them when we finally solve this riddle of the giraffe neck. So for you guys that are listening, we've been debating off air about what part of the giraffe you eat and if the neck is good eating, because it seems like it would be good eating because of how big it is. But also like, what do you compare it to for eating? Like I, I am of the belief that is like a rack of ribs. No. I mean, it's got to be like maybe the tail, but like bigger. I don't know. So it's like oxtail? Yeah, but like bigger. More meat, I'd imagine. Neck meat? I don't know. It's got to be good. There's, there's like not a lot of fat. That's not what this episode's about. No. Uh, we are, what are we? We're a podcast. You're a farmer guy. Who does research, and today we're talking about tree hay. Oh, yeah. Got me? Gotcha. You with me? I am mostly with you. I'm like pulling out of the driveway and you're like down the road. No more mulberry leaves. Maybe a few. It's like spinach, but better. I had sassafras the other day. And how did you feel about it? It was delicious. It made my soup very tasty. Nice. You know I cannot... Sassafras? Yeah. I can't not hear sassafras without thinking of Goofy Movie. Do you know why? He does say it at some point. I'm sure. Yeah, when they take the picture at the uh, raccoon place, they go like when they go on their road trip. They stop at the place. No, it's possums, not raccoons. The possum palace. They go take a picture, and he hangs from the tree. No, okay. I'm gonna have to watch. It. Just me, apparently. Yeah, I'm gonna have to watch it again. So welcome back. Nothing. <laughs> this is the Poor Pearls Almanac, and we talk about a lot of different things. And now you've seen how my mind meanders through like random subjects. Yeah, and then when he does get on task about something, he dives real deep about it and then starts blabbing about it. Nobody really cares, but we got these microphones, so... So here we are. What are we doing? Today we're doing tree hay, as you told me. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, girl. So the last few episodes, we've been talking about using different trees, fruits, and nuts, and coppicing, and pollarding, and all these different facets of silvopasture. So while we've covered all of these different parts, the one thing we haven't spent too much time talking about, although we have covered it in some detail, is tree hay or tree fodder, which is the idea of using the tree leaves as feed. Uh, You can store it over the winter, similar to a form of hay, but you don't even necessarily need to do that. You can just chop it down and feed it right away to livestock or even just let the livestock eat it right off the tree. So there's a bunch of different ways you can do it. And we have talked about some of these methods kind of quickly particularly in the Pearl Model series. So if you haven't listened to that series, it's a really good starting point to this process. One of the things you'll find if you check online is that unlike many other esoteric parts of agriculture, there isn't really a book that is treated like the Bible of the subject matter, not in English at least. Tree hay was so ingrained in common knowledge until just a few generations ago that the idea that it would need to be written down seemed kind of crazy. So not only was it really common knowledge, but uh, it was really the first major management tool outside of fire by people across the globe to manipulate the seasons of production for food and things like that, particularly in this case for livestock. 
before we had grass hay, we had tree hay. So really, we should be calling it hay and then calling grass hay, grass hay. And now in many ways, we're really starting this all over from scratch. And that becomes really obvious when you start talking to folks that are doing it. Because for example, black locust is a very common and sought after feed for folks that are doing this kind of work because of its high protein content. And despite that, many agricultural extension schools have it listed as inedible or dangerous for livestock. And that's somewhat justified. And it's not just like lack of knowledge. It's primarily tied to the fact that a lot of animals don't understand how to eat them in the sense of if they eat too much of it, they can get sick and die. But if the animal was living with that as a, a typical food source, it would understand not to eat, you know, only black locust for two weeks. Just like Elliot knows not to eat his mulberry leaves for two weeks straight. Or ever, for that matter. <laughs> Even though it's listed as inedible or dangerous, it's, like I said, it's not because of the fact that people are stupid or something like that. And uh, while we don't have written records of what was done for many species, there is little interest in really researching the matter through the traditional academic institutions. So it's really on us as like folks that are doing this to relearn and develop this knowledge and build that infrastructure for folks to springboard from as they do their own work. So fortunately, there are people doing this hard work, one of which we're going to be talking to in the next episode, Shauna Hansen. She does a lot of really great stuff at her farm in uh, Maine. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that episode coming in a couple days. But before we can get into what can and can't be used, we need to understand some of the basic concepts around feeding tree hay before it matters whether or not a species is necessarily edible. The first thing I want to cover is around the nutritional content of tree hay. And I want to start that by focusing on a key component of all animal diets, and that's protein. And what exactly is protein? Protein is formed with amino acids, a key component of which is nitrogen. So you're probably familiar with nitrogen as a farmer or somebody that's growing whatever, tomatoes, because it's one of the main ingredients in any fertilizer. It's always NPK and being for nitrogen. And nitrogen is so important in the development of protein that we can actually calculate protein content simply by knowing how much nitrogen is in something, which is about 16% of any protein. To invert that, we can multiply the amount of nitrogen in something, say grass or leaves, and multiply it by 6.25 to get a rough idea of how much protein is in something in terms of converting it into protein for that animal. Yeah, you can't get those gains without doing a little math, right? Macros is macros. Maybe. You got to gotta count them up. Count them. Count them up. Like, Gotta get those gains. Like those fat stacks of mulbs? Well, there's protein, fat, and carbs, I guess. Yeah, probably. I got nothing to add to that. I wish I did. How much do you bench, bro? <laughs> do you even bench, bro? Maybe. Uh, I literally just picked you, <laughs> pictured you picking up one of your sheep and throwing it over the fence. Good enough. I mean, that's what I do. Like, if you have to move sheep yeah, and you have to throw them, yeah. just grab them by the hair and whip them. Yeah, they're it's, fine. Yeah, no, they love it. Trust my, me, I've done it and it's actually kind of fun. Yeah. I my, felt bad the first time, but then once I got into it, it I was chucking sheep. Yeah, no, chucking <laughs> sheep is like a pastime. Last year, my sheep escaped. A couple of them escaped and they were down the street and I had to like drive down like a mile, well, half a mile down the road and uh, like wrangle them out of someone's front yard. Once I got one of them and like whipped her in, the cop that was there because somebody had called the police, 
I was like watching in horror as like the sheep that's just like this giant puff. It wasn't even a puffy ball because it was the summer. So it was kind of short. And I just like grabbed her and like whipped her in the back of the car. He was like in horror that I just like did that. And then the mom came up and like waited next to it so I could whip her in with her baby. And he was like, they let you do that? I was like, yeah, it's like a, it's a fucking roller coaster for them. They love it. Yeah, it's like a party. So uh, <laughs> do sheep eat tree hay? Sheep love tree hay. And in terms of like digestibility, uh, the the animal species itself is really important understanding like what we're feeding. Uh, just because a, a leaf has say 20% protein doesn't mean that that's fully digestible by the animal. So this digestibility is correlated both with the age of the plant being consumed as well as the species consuming it. With grasses and forbs, the digestibility and palatability is incredibly impacted by the age of those greens. With leaves, however, it's really less significant. While fresh young green shoots and buds of trees are more palatable than older leaves, once mature, like say they're fully leafed out and they start darkening up, they very slowly become less palatable and less digestible. So this is really nice because with grass or clover, and we covered this a bit in the grazing episodes, there's a very short window when they should be harvested where you're maximizing digestibility, protein, and size. And that window is pretty short. And there's also like a very big ebb and flow of your growing season because as we had talked about like C3 versus C4 grasses, depending on the temperature, grasses will thrive or they just kind of like go stagnant. So you're playing a bunch of different parts where you've got this giant spring flush you usually graze and then have to chop hay because otherwise you're not going to get back to that pasture because everything's growing so quickly. Then you have this summer slump. This is where like tree hay can be really nice because you don't have that short window. You can harvest it as you need it for uh, like a chop and drop almost. And also you can harvest for saving for the winter. Right. So, and you're saying the nutritional value is fairly the same year round. It slowly drops in quality over the year. Mm -hmm. And then once you get closer to fall, it, it dips pretty hard. But you've got like a pretty wide window where there's not much benefit to harvesting earlier than later, except unless you're trying to harvest, let it grow it again and harvest again. But that's not something that's super common as far north as we are. And um, it also depends on having like bigger trees that can take that abuse and respond very quickly. You know, small trees, if you chop off a couple of branches, is much more impactful than a 40-foot tree that's getting some trimming done. Sure. So, while obviously there's this benefit that it adds this depth to a landscape in terms of green production, it helps sometimes to put that into like numerical context, at least for me. So, like, let's take like a full-sized tree. It can produce roughly like 500 pounds of dried leaves a year. Let's say we just harvested like a fifth of that. That's like about 100 pounds. Now, that same spot, say like a 20 by 20 foot space or so of grass would produce around 40 pounds of dry matter. So the benefit is that you're adding a third dimension of growth and you're adding this bigger root system that can help the tree convert energy more efficiently and quickly. So this probably isn't super surprising, but I think adding some numbers can really help. And of course, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to harvest 100 leaves or that they're going to be 100% utilized by the, the animals because there's a number of different reasons they may choose not to eat them. And we're going to cover a little bit of that in, uh, later on in this episode. So I think adding these numbers is really helpful to try to contextualize the advantage of using tree hay, especially if that uh, management practice can also support grass ground cover underneath that can be grazed. 
Okay. So main takeaway is it's less demanding on time to manage and trees are vertically integrated nutrient conversion factories that produce good eats for livestock. We've talked about the giraffes. Has anybody domesticated giraffes as like large cows to like eat? That I don't know. Uh, I'm not talking about like weird giraffes in the zoo, those sad poor creatures. I mean like domesticated like giraffes. I don't think so, but that doesn't mean we can't try. Did you know that we actually have a species here in North America that is still closely related to giraffes? What kind of deer is it? It's not a deer. It's um. Go dig out your zoo books. Pronghorns. That's what they're called. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, pronghorns are the thing. That is a weird deer thing. It looks like a deer, but it's actually more closely related to giraffes, right? And camels, I think, as well, now that I say that. So, giraffes and camels are related? They are. That's so fun. I mean, you think about it, it kind of makes sense. They have, like, very similar characteristics, minus the humps. Sure. Do you think giraffes spit as much as camels? Probably. Seem like they're dicks like that. Imagine the distance on that thing. <laughs> you got like the the angle, yeah. right? With that thing coming down, it's probably coming in hot. Coming in hot. Coming in hot. Yeah, um, so tr- giraffes love tree hay. And that's not because people harvest it, but because like they're giraffes and they like trees and they like hay, I think. I don't know. Can giraffes actually eat hay? Like, isn't there something about their heads that can't go below their bodies because their blood pressure or something like that? Or am I just like making that the fuck up? I'm pretty sure a giraffe can do some stuff. I don't know. I have no idea, man. I've never <laughs> Jesus seen Christ. I've never seen a giraffe in real life. You've never? No. Dude, go to a zoo. No. Why not? I don't like zoos. They're weird. I mean they are weird. They serve giraffe. No, I don't wanna go to Giraffe oh, no. neck. That's all if they I, serve. If I wanna see an animal, I wanna go to where the animal is and like check it out. So it gets your boy Elliot and stuff. No, I don't want it to know I'm there. Oh, okay. So, let's talk about that harvesting process. So This sounds fun. Yeah, it's It's just as fun as wildly making claims about giraffes that you have no basis to make. So, there's, there's a couple of methodologies associated with harvesting tree hay. In the leaves, there's what's called lignin that builds up pretty quickly within the leaves and doesn't get significantly worse with the season. I don't think I actually mentioned that though, but now I'm telling you. So there's really no reason to rush to harvest except before they dry and fall from the trees. While you'll be possibly storing some leaves for the trees for the winter months, it's a bit different to harvest in practice versus the natural process of dropping leaves. When branches drop their leaves, they steal as much of the nutritional value as possible from the leaves before allowing them to fall. While when we harvest the branches with fresh leaves, the tree doesn't have the time to try to forge those nutrients back from the leaves. So they're all trapped in there. And through a process of slowly drying and curing the tree hay, we trap that nutritional value as much as we can. And in this process, make it more available to the animals that then go to eat it. Yeah, it's like leaf jerky. Yeah, lurky. It's awesome. You can't just smash words together. You say that and I no. do it. It's not how any of this works. It's how all of this works. It's no, how it's English evolves is people just smashing words together. There's not even like an apostrophe. It's not a contraction. You just It's like how babies are made. You just a, shove two things together even, and what comes a, out. It's not even a compound word. Isn't it? No. 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 No more compound words. Isn't it? No. Think about it before you say it. Have I ever thought about it before I said it? 
Who gave this man a microphone? No one. I did. And that's the problem. This is why you shouldn't be able to buy things. What this means is we can harvest at pretty much any time of the year to get the same quality leaves, but then we have to think about the health of the tree. There's a few different perspectives that I think come up when we consider tree health when it comes to harvesting for tree hay. It all really starts with considering our goals for the tree. Are we harvesting branches and wanting them to come back bigger next year? Are we hoping that the tree stays the same size because of shading issues? Are we selectively picking branches to thin a tree because maybe it's a fruit tree that needs better light penetration? Are we hoping to get the tree larger for a timber harvest in the following year? And if so, that might mean trying to keep as few knots as possible, which means removing as many branches as possible early on. Each of these will lead to different times they might want to harvest. It's a lot of questions you got to ask there. Are, they all, are those all rhetorical questions? <laughs> are we human or are we dancers? Hey you, do you like food? What the fuck? Do you like being alive? Uh, do you like guns? How did you get my- then what the fuck are you doing? Why aren't you listening to the Poor Pro's Almanac? Who are you? The Poor Pro's Almanac talks goats, guns, and country, not music. Uh, learn to shear sheep twice as fast as your ass. Hold on. Smash that subscribe button on the YouTube to watch their how-to videos and content. And visit the website at poorpros.com to learn more. Dude, just get the fuck Why am I always the bad guy in these commercials? I knew it. You can hear it. Hear what? You know what? The commercial. What are you talking about? Are you done with this? I'm going to just smash every word together the rest of the episode. Listen, I think you need to take a break, all right? No more word smashing. No more word babies, okay? Mashing. Word smashing is smashed. Nope. Get get it all out of your head. Get it all out now because we've got to finish this tree hay episode. No, we're not. I'm going to just smash words together and people are not going to know what I'm saying or they're going to absolutely know what i'm saying and just be like i don't see what the big deal was that made total sense to me like remember when we were in like think about it andy the two words you've just come up with i'm just going to use in a sentence right now oh i'm just sitting here eating some lurky warm ashing <laughs> that sounds amazing <laughs> sounds like a good time I'm just saying it sounds dumb <laughs> you know i sound what? i sound dumb now <laughs> that seems like a you problem first off no you're the creator of all of this, but you know what? And I create words. I digress. It's, they're beautiful. You can't just do it. It's gross. Wow. I'm just You're just like shooting my babies like that. Yeah. That, that hurts. <sighs> Ugly ass word babies. <laughs> Don't feed them. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> just going to starve out my word babies like yeah. that. that. That hurts. Yes. So... I guess we're done with this, I hope, because I I can't take any more pain. <laughs> Lead him to water. I don't care. <laughs> um, let's start with that early spring harvest. You'd want to harvest in the spring with trees that have really quick growth, like willow, that you're confident will bounce back. Species that coppice well are good for a spring harvest. Further, you'd want to harvest in the spring on trees you're thinning. If you're seeing new shoots spring out somewhere that you probably block sunlight penetration to the lower parts of the tree. Generally, you should have already thinned the tree the previous winter if we're talking about like fruit trees, which is generally where you're thinking about that lower sunlight penetration, uh, unless we're talking about like grazing underneath. 
there are folks that uh, will advocate for summer pruning for fruit trees. While I understand the concept of, you know, letting nature take its course and trimming as you go, I'm not a big fan of letting the trees expend energy on growth that you're cutting if you don't have to. So nip it in the bud early in the spring. See, nip it in the bud uses real words and it's an actual like saying and they didn't smash any words together there. Not yet. Give me time. Nud. <laughs> Done. It's like I'm alert. Like I feel like I'm having a little, an allergic reaction. <laughs> Good. Nud. My, my eyes twitching. My heart keeps skipping a beat. I think I'm having a heart attack. I have too, a way with words. Too, too much Lowry's. <laughs> Never. Never. Don't don't sour that name like that. So summer harvests are great for trees that you're trying to keep small or possibly even a second harvest for like a species like willow. Generally, you're thinking like July and like late July, early August here in like zone six, zone seven, uh, even like zone five. Further trees that are slow growing like oaks will have only put out like a meaningful amount of new growth by this point, And there's just no way to really harvest without taking multiple years of growth, without waiting this late. Further, if you're looking to take multiple years of growth, that's kind of fine. Um, and we covered that a bit in a previous episode on pollarding. But in terms of sustainably harvesting from singular trees, if that's something you want to continuously do, that really isn't an option because one minus two is negative one. Giving one year's growth and then taking two years growth, Elliot's eyes are rolling into the back of his head. Between the math and the word smash, he's just ready to quit yeah word smash we're mashing if we're, we're mashing if we're going yeah by your we're, standards hell yeah sounds terrible we're mashing nope. it's i will mash my beer to ferment it beer mash no fine um ellie doesn't appreciate me you appreciate at me all. though at all so when we think about cutting tree hay, we generally want to stick to those younger branches as livestock will not only eat the leaves, but often they'll eat those tender branches and try not to leave any of the otherwise wasted caloric expenditure of the tree to be left unused. Of course, you can compost it and chip it and things like that, but I would prefer to give it to my livestock because they're the most needy. The latest folks generally harvest is about three months before your frost date. Any later in the tree really won't have enough time to recover. And the last thing you want to do is kill a tree because you wanted to harvest a couple days worth of food. That makes sense. But overall, after talking about coppicing and pollard greens, I think it's kind of starting to come together. And you do use these techniques, but they're at different times and for different things, whether it's for, you know, fodder for your animals, or if you're just grabbing kindling firewood or short poles, if you need broader boards, lumber, things like that. All of those different purposes are going to decide which technique you're going to use and when. Yeah. And like with pick on coppicing, if you're growing coppicing with standards, for example, which means you have the one giant tree and then the other ones you're chopping down on a shorter cycle, you could be very actively harvesting tree hay on that pollard, on the standard rather, that's growing really big because you don't want those knots because you're planning on using it for timber or something like that. So while they may sometimes butt heads a little bit in terms of a practice, if you're really thoughtful about how you're doing it, then you can actually do them together and get the benefit of both without negatively impacting significantly one another. 
So you can use it, like you said, for lumber. So you, you can do both techniques on one tree at different times of the year is what you're saying? or, or Yeah, not? you can't. Well, they're not for. So like with coppicing, you're, you cut your coppice in the winter. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you don't manage that tree outside of the winter season where you're doing that planned thinning because of what you might be using those. those uh, you know, when you cut it next time, what you're going to be using those chunks of coppice for. Gotcha. So there's also more thought that goes into identifying which trees you're going to use and for what purpose, right? Yeah. And, you know, you want to think about if you're harvesting for timber. And I mean, like, which type of tree, like species? Yeah. So, like, if you're harvesting for timber, you might want to do something that's a denser wood, a more resilient wood. If you're thinking about growing for, like, fence posts, you would traditionally use, like, black locust because it's pretty rot resistant. Uh, And like I said, a locust also is a really good feed for your livestock. So there's a bunch of different benefits and pairing those up with the right things and the right management practice is really important and nuanced and based on planting spacing, the cycle that you're growing it on, and again, what you're actually planning on harvesting it, how you're going to harvest it, all those things play into how you're going to do all of this. And uh, that means, again, lumber, livestock feed, kindling. Switches for these badass kids. Switches for Elliot's mom. Shout out to Gwen. Ooh. I hope she has one special for you, buddy. Probably. I got Listen, I I got you a job in high school, and I will forever be on her good list for that. Yeah. She was super glad you got me that job. That was my second job. I had two jobs, and I was in high school. And how long did you last? Long enough to buy my first shitty car, and then I bought that car, and I was out of there. <laughs> yeah, you were. And I drove that thing for two weeks, and then I was like, can I come back to work now? <laughs> <laughs> this thing's fucking expensive. It's falling apart. No, it was not expensive. It was $500. Well, it was falling apart. It didn't apart have seatbelts. expensive because it was It didn't it was have a, a fifth gear. There was no emergency brake. It was a full-on death trap. Shouldn't have been driving it at all, but... But it was the early 2000s. <laughs> there were no laws. It was insured. The state's yeah. fucked up. It was weird. Yeah. Shout I'm out not, to Massachusetts. <laughs> you just have to pay money. Massachusetts. Yeah. That's, that's what they call it. For you non-New Englanders. So we've covered that coppicing and pollarding are primarily done during the winter after the leaves have fallen, as we just had said. And the whole idea of this practice is that the nutrients can return to the roots for the winter. So when we harvest all of the timber, lumber, whatever it might be, the tree doesn't really have that much damage like obviously it's missing chunks of it but like all the energy of the tree isn't in those pieces of wood so it can sprout up quickly and pretty much reach its fullest potential given that it was chopped down so it's like the best possible scenario for the tree in order to survive this is the same reason that we don't rake leaves into piles to feed livestock is because that that nutrition has been mostly zapped out of them will your livestock eat them sometimes will it be nutritionally dense no. So fodder trees in comparison can uh So would it be like candy corn for them? Oh, candy corn. That's what like rake leaves would be for animals. <laughs> That's they, terrible. They hate them. There's no nutritional value, but they just can't they can't stop they, eating them. They always gotta eat like three and they're like, I fucking hate those. Candy corn. First one's great, second one's terrible. All over. I've I've heard multiple horror stories post Halloween about people who just couldn't stop eating candy corn. And I was like, "What's the problem? Just don't eat it. It's horrible." Yeah, I've never heard of somebody that couldn't stop eating. Or it. those orange little pumpkin things. I, you know, I feel like I haven't seen those in years. Sorry, yeah. we're recording this like right after Halloween, so this probably doesn't make much sense in December. But 
Maybe it does. Maybe you're still picking no, at that. No, I'm talking candy. about it because people are just coming out of there like candy coma. Like people overdo it on the candy. Oh. Candoma, you mean? Let's go back to the episode. <laughs> so with fodder trees, you generally want to start thinking about pruning them when the diameter of the stem at around 20 inches or so above the ground is at least three inches. So that's like, what did we compare it to last time? Uh, the rule of wrist. The rule of wrist. Yeah. So compare it to like a wrist. And while that might seem like it takes a while if you're planting a seed and it, it does, very specific species like willows or even like black locusts can get to that size fairly quickly. And after that first pruning, the following prunings should not be done too regular. Otherwise, the yields per pruning and the lifespan of the tree will start to be reduced. And a lot of this is based on experimentation. And, you know, there's a bunch of different factors that impact how a tree copes with these certain pruning frequencies. And that's something that we don't have a lot of data on. And that's, that's where you get to kind of be a researcher and find out for, for yourself and your location and all that good stuff. So, like I said, a lot of this knowledge has been really lost. And it's really one of the few areas that, like, everyday people like us can learn stuff that's been largely forgotten. So these intervals might be longer or shorter depending on your climate or rainfall or soil fertility or altitude. And in general, I definitely recommend avoid cutting trees too often or at a low height at the beginning, during and immediately after the wet season. Too much pruning of trees during these periods exposes them to a really high chance of disease attack. So it's ideal not to. The rule of thumb when it comes to doing this is to save harvesting leaves for the dry season. And in dry areas, if you live someplace super dry, you want to let that stem get a little bit bigger up to about four inches in diameter before pruning because you want the main roots to be able to have gotten deep enough to get into the ground's deeper water tables, allowing the tree to continue to get enough water during those drier seasons. Afterwards, again, pruning shouldn't exceed two or three cuts a year, especially here in colder places. Three is already cutting it pretty close. Nice. I'm telling you, I'm on fire today. I wish you were on fire. I wish America was on fire with controlled burns of Meh. police stations. Meh. Eh. Meh. So in areas with long dry seasons, water shortage can lead to like the loss of a lot of fodder material unless those cutting times are chosen really wisely. If the aim is to maximize the yield of the fodder at the height of the dry season, experiments have shown that the final wet season cut should be made six months earlier. So if your rainy season starts in like December, aim for like a June leaf harvest. Now, I say leaves, and as I hinted at before, it's not always necessarily just to the leaves. And not only is it just sometimes those small twigs, but if you're dealing with like locusts or other pod-based trees, catalpas being another native example here in New England, pods, seeds, and again, those small twigs can also be fed. I wanted to make a really good pod joke there, but I got nothing. I've been watching too many sci-fi movies, like pod people and stuff. Oh, I meant like podcast. Oh. That, no, that been, thing you might have heard of. watching... What is that? It is. Yeah, I, I watch movies. See, 10,000 years ago when the agriculture Don't began to- Don't go back to the beginning. Go back to tree hay. People would cast their seeds across the field. Podcasting? <laughs> there was a meme about it. I can't remember it anymore. <laughs> what? <laughs> Ellie just laughs at me. It's- what he does now. Oh, this is why I don't go to the zoo. I just come here and observe, <laughs> and observe you. There's a lot of interaction here. This is an interactive zoo. Yeah. You come here, enjoy my livestock, and 
myself and giggle, yeah. giggle like a schoolgirl and leave. It's you and your natural habitat. Yeah. The wild Andy, as you like to say. I thought there was more to that joke. So uh, if you do have all these pods and seeds and things, they can also be fed. And what I had mentioned before, you can like chop and drop branches and feed them to livestock. You can also store them for a season or more. And what this means is if you do drop it right on the ground, you don't have to cure it. And additionally, when it's not cured, it's still more palatable for livestock. And while that might seem obvious, it's important because a lot of folks simply don't have the time or space for tree fodder because tree fodder is like it it stores less densely than like traditional hay. So you're not going to be able to store as many calories in as big of a space. And as far as everyone that I know, like I buy hay and when you do, it's like you buy as much as you can store and then you have to go buy multiple times throughout the year if you don't have like a full system in place. So trying to store tree hay, if you're calorically storing less calories per square foot, it's not going to be really ideal. So if that's the case and you still want to use tree fodder or maybe you want to feed tree fodder and then harvest hay because you're keeping your livestock off of some of the fields more, then this is kind of a way you can cut and carry the branches to the animals and let that grass grow higher, harvest the uh, higher calorie grass and store that. So when we do start cutting and carrying or even allowing the animals to browse at like shrubby looking things that you've chopped down so that they can do what they want to do, you definitely want to let them graze or browse for like a couple days at most and then give it at least six or more weeks to recover. It's similar to like a pasture, but you really want to give it much longer recovery time. And I said six weeks, but honestly, I wouldn't do it more than like once a year. Otherwise, you know, overgrazing will cause fodder trees to die and you don't want that. Duh. Yeah, you say that. Yeah. And also, so with everything that we've just gone over, would it be all right to say these aren't primary ways to feed animals, but more like supplemental throughout the year as your livestock vary diets and like different things to eat? Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't want it to be the primary food source. I, I could say like 50%. And again, that also has to do with like what animals you're grazing. Is it something that comes from a forest environment or is it something that comes from like more of a, a prairie environment? Something that's evolved in like a prairie is probably going to be able to eat less than something that's evolved in the woods. And uh, again, we've talked a little bit about it, but like a polygastric versus a monogastric digestive system, meaning pigs are monogastric. They can't really eat a lot of leaves, whereas like sheep that have their rumen and all that stuff can, and that also plays into it. So for like most tree species, the fodder leaf should be fed to the animals within an hour of harvesting if you are doing that direct feeding. If you're actually thinking about storing them, put them someplace with cool, indirect sunlight and good airflow. Generally, you're going to like tie them up into like a pile, essentially, get a common like part of the branch and hang them upside down. Usually your all the twigs together will be like probably about like six inches in diameter. You let them hang for a little while and dry out and cure, and then you can store them later however you want. Sounds so familiar. Like hay? Sure. Oh, yeah, that too. <sighs> Mr. Professional, is that exactly the same process for you guys? Mm, not really. Sort no. of. Kind of. You let them air out a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So this process of cut and carry is a really good way to thin trees to get sunlight penetration and more dense forests over systems that are transitioning from fields to more of a civil pasture system. So like if you're like me and you've got this forest area that you're trying to bring in the pasture, 
cutting down a bunch of lower branches to get a little bit more sunlight penetration is going to feed your livestock and get the benefit of more sunlight on the ground. So it's a win-win. And you know, we've talked about it before, but the goal with a lot of these systems converting to silvopasture isn't to convert it overnight. Not only is that nearly physical impossible to address something like a forest into a silvopasture site in a short period of time, but the biology, not just the trees and grasses, but the bacteria and fungi need time to not necessarily evolve, but change which ones are the predominant species. And um, that, that comes with that site sunlight penetration and the evapotranspirational changes, the water absorption changes, the species changes, and so on. It really takes years to get these things in balance and sometimes like decades. I wanted to call you out on evapotranspirational because it sounds like you smashed two words together, but I actually know that that's a real word. See, there was a visionary before me and someday people look up to me to smash words together. I just want you to know, right now, you are like the slave owners Somebody in must the 19th him. century. Somebody He's must trying stop to stop him. progress. Somebody must stop him. Make America great again. He must it. be stopped. I'm about to don a mask and a cape <laughs> and be a masked hero and avenge this at night or some shit. Good. Well, all in all, it's going to take a long time for the transition to happen from forest to pasture, is what you were saying. And if we were to start today, this wouldn't be ready in time for the Second Civil War. Or would it? What? What? No. Okay. It might be. Uh, <laughs> it, might, it might be. <laughs> Maybe. Depends you who so? you ask. Uh, so the alternative to all of this is... Start today. Start people. today. That should be a motivational speech for everybody. Go, start, start today, people. Yeah, go harvest all of the nuts in your forest. Fuck the squirrels. Shoot them. Eat them. Take their nuts. Plant more trees. No way you could eat all the squirrels. You say that. No way you could. Why not? Too many of them. You say that. I'd be sick of squirrel by day three. <laughs> you know what? It's evapo squirrel paration. See? That's good. That's what's going in the crunch trap. Squirrel tacos. Squirrel, ta squirrel mulberry tacos. Oh, man. Oh, cumin on squirrel. Oh, it sounds <laughs> terrible. Skewman? <laughs> no. Fine. You, that one you get. That was a bad one. I will give you that. None of this is going to help Question. anybody. You say that. None of this is going to help anybody. Does anything help anyone? You need help. Yes, I do. Just call out for help. <laughs> Somebody help him, please. Don't help me. I am happy where I am. Are you thirsty? No? Do you want to be? Try bean curd. With twice the chewiness of a sponge and half the flavor of dough. What could be better? Nothing. Take your high-protein block of cardboard and make a great meal incredibly mediocre. Say it with me now. Herd your thirst with curd. Can you smell what the rock is cooking? Because it's bean curd. Learn more about the power of bean curd at poorproles.com. Stay thirsty, friends. So the alternative to all of this is to dry your tree leaves for storage. And there's a bit of interpretation of this process as there hasn't been extensive research done on measuring quality or palatability of the tree hay based on the different drying methods. But the general idea seems to be that the slowly drying in bunches that are tied together 
tightly but not super firm in collections like i said where the the base stem that you're hanging from is maybe six or so inches in diameter these can be stored somewhere dry in a barn shed wherever there's some good airflow to keep moisture out and to keep mold from growing cure it up cure it up so to return to the previous episode when we cut our coppices and pollards we did it on a rotation that gave us beneficial products When we cut tree hay, we do this most often based on the idea of regeneration, that the trees will replace not necessarily those specific branches, but branches in similar spots, because after all, they didn't grow them randomly. And in this process, we want to keep the infrastructure of the tree in place. And what that infrastructure is, is based on what we want to harvest, right? If we only want leaves, we want to leave as many branches that will help produce leaves as possible. If we want bean poles, we want to leave as much of the trunk of the tree as possible above browsing height to grow long, straight sticks, generally pretty dense as well. If we want firewood, we want to give those main trunks as much room and as little competition as possible. If we want all of the above, it means really careful, thoughtful planning. Alternatively, we can use a practice called strip leafing, which means quite like what it sounds like, not stripping. smashing words together. Yep. Uh, stripping all of the leaves from the branches, but leaving the branch structure intact, which the trees often bounce back more quickly from. This is one way to give a better likelihood to get two harvests in one year, although I wouldn't recommend doing this repeatedly, as from folks that I know that have done it, the tree will eventually start to respond negatively. When harvesting in this practice, the leaves are traditionally stored in sacks or used in tree silage, which is a slightly fermented feed to increase the storability of the leaves. It's also Elliot's favorite food. Mm, fermented tree silage? Maybe. So like tree, be- tree beer? Treer? Nope. <laughs> nope. You're batting average. You, you just don't want it to be happy. No. You, you just don't want it to happen. No, just none of them. All of them sound terrible. None of them sound good. Leaf stripping sounds like it could be fun. It sounds like it's horrible in your hands. That's what she said? Oof. <laughs> You are on fire, and I wish you were on fire. I know. I make you so happy. I'm I'm ecstatic right now. Yeah, at this point, we've only really focused on making Elliot miserable, but also tree hay as something we can do as land managers or farmers or whatever. But how do we keep our animals from snacking off of the trees? So this is why we've talked a lot about browse height, which is exactly what it sounds like, and it's the maximum height at which they can reach those leaves. For most animals, it's around six feet and higher for larger species. And yeah, those little three-foot sheep or goats, they'll reach up pretty high, up to six feet for a delicious snack if they are done with what they're eating. By definition, if we are cutting tree fodder as a primary practice for those tree species and not just thinking about thinning a tree for light penetration or airflow, then the tree is probably going to be pollarded or coppiced on a specific cycle, which is why we did that episode before this one. Yeah, so I'm going back to tree silage. It's got to be like probiotics. Maybe. Actually, I don't know. I mean, it's fermented, so it's probably filled with like lactobacillus. And so it's like kombucha for your like animals. It's your lambucha. Okay. That that's was- a good one. <laughs> Come All right. on. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I we, hit it. We made it. Lambucha. <laughs> oh, nailed it. Oh, I feel so much better now. <laughs> Was that like building feel, on you? Yeah, dude, my chow <laughs> felt like there was a cinder block on my chest. Killing me, man. <laughs> You're literally killing me. Yeah, I'm trying. So, 
I want to circle back to a point I made earlier about tree hay and its use that much like traditional feed for livestock, like grasses and forbs, different grasses are not only better or worse for different species, but they also have different values. Alfalfa and clover are great because they're high in protein, but they can also cause bloat and it's important to have a various mix of species to feed your livestock. The same is true with tree hay, although there are many advantages with tree hay that doesn't exist in grasslands. So we've talked about black locust a lot. It's a nitrogen fixing tree that is native to North America, but has actually traveled across the globe and is very nutritionally similar to alfalfa. It provides incredible volume of forage while also being high in protein and also improving the quality of the soil by fixing nitrogen. But much like alfalfa, it does have a bloat issue. Another common species is willow, which is another species that exists across the globe and it has fast growing digestible biomass for animals similar to most grasses that don't have any uniquely valuable benefits other than being like caloric intake, but it has an added benefit of having really high tannin content and other chemical properties that help reduce parasite load, which is like a constant battle for most farmers. While this can be toxic in large volumes, again, grazers can quickly learn to limit their intake if necessary. And it's most similarly comparable to like triticale otherwise. Which is like wheat. Yeah, it's like a wheat hybrid, essentially. It's a wheat-grass hybrid. Wheat and rye. Yeah. Smashed smashed together. Yeah, smashed, Elliot. Rye. Or triticale. (laughs) Wheat. You know what, Elliot? You're trying to step on my toes now. See? It sounds terrible, right? I mean... I hope it feels like it's killing you. No, I'm going to keep going. There's just a word for it. It's called triticale. (laughs) Not even close. I know. It's terrible. They really could have done better with it. But on top of willows, in the same family as willow is poplar, which includes things like aspens and cottonwoods. And they have similar properties to willow, but without the benefits or quote unquote risks of willow, depending on how you want to look at it. They create a lot of biomass and are a really great way to fill up caloric intake quickly. They're very similar nutritionally to like a timothy grass or a fescue. One other particular species worth considering and incorporating regardless of location is mulberry. Not only is it incredibly digestible, I'm staring at Elliot right now, and has high protein content, it also drops an incredible amount of fruit. Mulberry leaves and mulberries. Mulbs and mulbs. The mulby boys. Gotta smash those together. The mulby boys. Come on. Nope. I'm gonna the mulb boys? Mulby smoothie. Mulberry and mulberry leaves. I'm gonna just throw in a blender. A smoothie? Okay. We're so close. <clears throat> I had it and I lost it. We were so close. So while we've been talking primarily about polygastric species, uh, like I had said, uh, sheep, cows, and goats, mulberry fodder is so digestible that monogastric species like pigs and chickens will actually eat the leaves. And places in Asia are experimenting with pelletized mulberry leaves, which is something I've really wanted to do for a number of years, but I just didn't have a thousand dollars to spend on a pelletizer. So I'm totally not mad at all that somebody beat me to it. All right, they're making mulberry cereal. Mulberry cereal. I'm just going to kill that, it. That's that's like right in the middle. I feel nothing. I'm like totally neutral. <laughs> neutral. Yeah, I, I feel nothing on that one. Cool. Yeah, so they beat me to it and, you know, it is what it is. I won't I won't hold it personally against China, but you can call me Donald Trump. I have no bad feelings about China. <laughs> Say it one more time. China. 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 So we've covered a few species and how they can be used and when to harvest them and how to cure them. We've talked a bit about some of the various uses for specific species. Now, how does this all fit into an actually productive system? And, well, it's complicated. 
Thanks. I'm glad you cleared that up. Yeah, you know. You're welcome. Yeah, so I see you've got a wall of willows in the ground in one section of the property. And then there's a bunch of like dense honey locusts and poplars and is that black locusts and European ash? Are these all tree fodder? You can just mix them up, just grab a couple branches every now and then and do your little bundle thing and you can feed it all, like all of them. Is that how it works? Sort of. Uh, so you can definitely do a mix and match where you can trim stuff up as you need to. The The reason why I chose where the willows are, for example, is because it's going next to where the greenhouse will be. And that way, during based on how the sun is going over the space, the greenhouse will be able to capture all of the sun during the winter when they're chopped down. And then during the summer, as they get 20 feet tall, they'll get a break from the afternoon sun. That way I can rotate the animals through if I want them to graze at the willow. So I do a bit of chop and drop and I will eventually do a bit more pollarding and things like that as they get bigger. So there's a bunch of different ways. And and again, it goes back to how you want to personally use them. So like the locusts that I have really make great firewood and they can be fence posts and things like the ash are really more for nature than for me. And while I do harvest some of the leaves and occasionally coppice or will be occasionally coppicing, they're they're less about what I need and more about just providing some of that diversity to a landscape that's been just inundated because of the emerald ash borer. So the biggest challenge, I think, really is for people to figure out a way to work these things in. And that's why I like to give a lot of the examples during the episodes. So do you really want to think about allowing your animals to graze like directly at the site at the the way you know where the trees are if you do or don't will impact how you might think about where your paddock is going to be and how that relates to the time of the year additionally one of the challenges is really around calculating how many pounds of fodder that you're getting and it's much more of an art than a science at this point and you can only really figure it out by doing it and observing yeah so for some reason i just thought about like livestock dine-in or takeout like if they're gonna, like if they're going to eat there or if you're going to bring that shit to them. <laughs> yeah, kind of. So what you can do is just start lopping your trees back as they're big enough. See how quickly they devour the material and you'll get an eye pretty quickly at what they'll eat and what they won't eat. Some animals will eat young bark, others will eat the whole branches, and you'll find out pretty quickly that most livestock won't eat any leaves that fall into the grasses that have been grazed already, meaning that you either have to keep your tree fodder upright or feed uh, tree hay in new pasture or rotate the tree hay while it's still fresh so they'll consume all of it like a rotisserie chicken. And like none of this is ideal because it's more work and we don't want to do more work. And this is where having those bigger trees that might be on a site, like an older oak tree that you didn't cut down or whatever it might be, because you can start leaning the tree hay up against those things. Additionally, you can think about, you know, I have like a kid's little wagon. I'll toss the tree hay into the wagon so that it's off the ground and they'll pick at it a little bit more and then you can rotate it. Uh, like the hay holders can sometimes work, but they're not really shaped the right way, which is why I like my little contraption. In terms of actually growing tree hay species, many of them can be grown in super dense clusters because you'll know they'll never get larger than like 20 or so feet and that dense leaf cover won't exist for very long. So you can plant them even as close to like a foot apart creating these really dense thickets. These can operate as windbreaks as well as for tree hay, and they can be habitat for native birds. I think I need a windbreak. I am a windbreak. I think you just called yourself a fart. I am a fart. I, I don't know where I was going with that. I thought you were going to smash windbreak and fart together. A fart break? <laughs> Not impressed. 
So, of course, I had mentioned a handful of species, and those are mostly native to the northern half of the United States. That doesn't mean you can't use them if they're not native to your region, but they are definitely the more productive options given their unique benefits. The reality is, unlike grasses, we haven't spent too much time thinking about tree breeding in terms of edible leaves for livestock. There's an incredible amount we can still do today in terms of breeding for more forageable leaves, high-production trees, and better coppicing varieties. Now, we've talked a bit about the overlaps of coppicing, pollarding, and tree hay. However, you might be wondering about whether tree hay harvesting is good or bad for timber biomass production. Oh, thank God somebody asked. Yeah, I, another rhetorical question. Is it? I know you're, I can see you're, you got your like white knuckles right now waiting for my response. Don't you ever call my knuckles white. Whitey. They're, Slave they're, owner. They're, they're, they're kind of light. They're, they're kind of light knuckles. Are they just ashy or are they light? No, no, I'm pretty light skinned actually. <laughs> look, look at that. Tasty. I'm getting Al a reflection almost, off of Almost. Almost. I'm ashamed. <laughs> you should be. I'm ashamed for you. I'm actually not. I'm sorry, Gwen. Could, couldn't really do anything about that. So, really had no say in that whatsoever, but. Really? Because I hadn't like an option. Maybe it's a white person thing. I guess so. Yeah. Or was it for your family when they were signing on the papers at Ellis Island? Uh, actually, my dad did go through Ellis Island. I know. <laughs> uh, why do you know that? Pretty sure I asked. Oh. <laughs> um, your, so, grand, your grandpa didn't speak any English and he was always yelling at me he, he basically <laughs> speak like I wasn't in the room and I don't, I don't speak <laughs> Italian but I understand the tone <laughs> I mean to be fair he, he could say like hey I want a sandwich and it would sound like he was yelling at you it's just like what we do yeah but he wasn't saying that no he wasn't <laughs> <laughs> he was not saying he wanted a sandwich uh, <laughs> so uh, what are we talking about oh yeah, timber biomass. So if we're harvesting all this tree hay, the question might come up of, you know, if I'm also trying to get timber, is that having a negative impact on how much firewood or timber I'm trying to harvest? So timber and fodder at the same time? Yeah, like what you were saying before. Okay. And it is true that you will reduce the amount of production you're going to have in the trunk and things like that. Unfortunately, there really isn't a whole lot of documented evidence on it. It's mostly anecdotal, but Obviously, there's going to be some kind of trade-off between producing feed for livestock and timber for building or for heating your home. It's something you definitely want to keep in mind. And uh, this is really just a general background of how this practice works. And in the next episode, like I said, we're going to be talking with Shauna Hansen, who's been doing this for decades. He's done a ton of research on it, has a bunch of content out on YouTube. So I definitely would recommend looking her up and getting excited for the next episode. So hopefully this has helped clarify some of the challenges that surround the practice of tree fodder. If you haven't yet, give us a review on iTunes and give us a follow on the social medias. Until next time, we're the Poor Proles Almanac and we are a podcast. Dude, they know we're a podcast. Say our names. This I'm nah. Elliot. No, we're like a dictionary. We, I'm Elliot. That's we Andy. smash words together. This together, is... we're E-Andy. Isn't that what I... andy it? Mm, oh, no. we're andy it. My Done. name's first. Done. andy it. My name's first. Definitely not. Elliandy. Eliandi. Ah, that just sounds fancy. A little bit. I'll give you that. Sounds fancy. Sounds uh, exotic. I am exotic. Like that giraffe. Yeah, you're <laughs> only exotic when you're leaf stripping. You. You. I got nothing. You got nothing. I got mad at insults today. Ah, lambucha. Let's, let's go. <laughs>